0: What's going on? Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Hope you're having a kick-ass day so far. It's my third podcast episode. Hopefully it won't be my last. Today we got a good one for you for all your foodies out there. Got a great guest, her name is Laura Hayes, and it's a bit of a lengthy interview. We got to a lot of good stuff, so I won't keep it too long here at the top, but just to give you a quick uh, heads up about Laura and what to expect from today's episode. Uh, Laura is someone that I first met when I was back in the broadcasting world. We both went to Syracuse together. She got into the news industry and the broadcast industry, but now has turned a complete 180 and now is a food blogger uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. She's a freelance food professional, you could say. She writes for uh, Thrillist, Washington Post Express, the Washington City Paper, Arlington Magazine, she's an editor at Dining Biz now. Uh, she founded an awesome blog called Best Thing on the Menu, and that's where you can find her on Twitter, um, at Menu. so check her out there. We'll give that to you again later, so don't worry if you missed it, but she is just crushing it down in the D.C. dining scene. She writes some of the best stuff you'll read in the area about, I don't know, food and drinks and bartenders and mixology and cocktails and events and all that kind of stuff, so wanted to talk to her both about that and kind of learn about the food industry because I am the opposite of a foodie. Uh, If I could eat at Subway for every meal for the rest of my life, I think I'd be okay with that. And a lot of people now are quite the opposite. They want their fancy meals and their uh, curated drinks, and that's just not me. But I want to learn about that part of the world because I think that part is just so fascinating and it's becoming more and more popular. So we're talking to Laura who knows her stuff and she's going to tell us all about what's good in the biz right now, what it's like down in DC, how she got to be in her position. You know, a lot of people I know wish they could write about food for a living. She does. She gets paid to go to restaurants and eat and drink. We talked to her about that, how that works with her life and her diet and also a bunch of other stuff. She's got a really cool life. She lived in Japan for a couple of years. We talk about vibrator bars, which is something you can keep an ear out for toward the end of the, uh, the chat with her. But uh, lots of cool stuff going on with her, so we'll get right to it. And then right afterward, make sure to stay around just for my one thing at the very end of the episode. And also make sure to check out mikejanella.com for some information on my awesome intro music and more about Laura herself. But for right now, without further ado, here is my conversation with uh, DC's Laura Hayes. Hey girl, what's up?
1: Hey Mike, how you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm good. It's a pleasure having you on. Uh, You are the first female guest in the history of the Mike Janella Show. Where does that go on your resume?
1: Um, I'm pretty excited except for as I kind of tell people since I primarily write for men's interest publications but I'm hardly a female. You should see me put away a burger but um, (laughs) no less, here I am. Let's do it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, let's rock and roll. Uh, so I can have been the intro to the show, uh, which you haven't heard because I just uh, gave you a call now, but it kind of gave the whole story about who you are and what you're up to these days. But why don't you give us your kind of version of what you see yourself as, refer to yourself as, I guess, professional food blogger is the easy in a nutshell, but it seems like you do so much more. So give us the 30-second the sell on, on Laura. Sure. Um, so I'm Laura Hayes, and I'm in
1: Washington, D.C., And I am a freelance food writer, photographer, and editor. Um, I have a couple regular gigs, including uh, being the lead writer uh, for Thrillist um, in Washington, D.C., and then I also contribute to um, several newspapers and magazines, um, including Washington City Paper, Arlington Magazine, Edible D.C., um working on a couple of new clients including the food network and um it's great yeah. Um so I it's both online um and print and I work from home which is um both good and bad. Um and I actually kind of started as a food writer and a lot of my writing has actually ended up being about uh wine and cocktails. Um so that's been a whole fun new area for me to explore and uh that's that's where I'm at.
0: Awesome, and I mean, some of the heavy hitters that you write for, I mean, Thrillist, everyone knows that kind of in big cities all over the place. What's um? We'll plug you again later, but give us quickly your Twitter handle so the folks listening can make sure to follow you for all your cool stuff.
1: Oh, I love that. Um, my handle is at btmenu. Um, and the backstory behind that handle is that um, kind of how I got, it, got started in this industry um, was I started a blog that I ran on the side as I was you know, suffering from a nine-to-five desk job. (laughs) And um, the blog is was called um, Best Thing on the Menu, and I would go around um, writing up what I thought was the best thing on a restaurant's menu, either because it was the thing everyone goes there to get, or maybe it's the dish that has a really cool story that no one knows about that you should really try. Um, And I actually ran that blog for about a year and a half, and I used that to get my first paid job, and then I use that job to get my other job, so I owe a lot to that blog, and I hope that um, if I can come up for air, that I can get back to it soon. But that's kind of why uh, my handle is at B2Menu, um, and that's kind of the new brand I've been identifying myself with.
0: So... You get to write about food and you did it for fun, but now, like you said, you're cutting the paycheck from it. You get to write about wine and cocktails and I've checked out some of your pieces and it's everything from pizza to seafood to craft beer to like you say, you know, cocktails and mixology and all that. It's kind of like when you hear it on the surface, you know, food blogger or lifestyle blogger or anything like that. It's like one of those jobs, you know, TV critic or sportscaster. It seems like a dream job on the surface. Is that the reality, or is it actually hard work to have to go to all these bars and drink all these drinks and eat all these food meals and stuff? <laughs>
1: um. Yeah. I mean, you have to be willing um, to go up a few pant sizes. Um,
0: <laughs> that one of the off. occupational hazards.
1: <laughs> it is for sure, um, and you also have to be willing to see this like look of horror on your mother's face when I had like a little take your mom to work day. She was my uh, plus one while my husband's deployed this summer, and she was just taken aback by how much food I can put away and that I do it, you know, four or five times a week. So um, you know, it, it takes a hit on um, time with um, friends and family who are not in the industry. Um, a lot of the times, you know, I'll be out to dinner three or four times a week with other members of the media um, kind of tasting our way through a new menu or maybe a new chef coming to a restaurant. He totally retooled the menu, so I have to familiarize myself with that. Um, So I've actually have started to learn some of my colleagues' um, food and wine choices and allergies and preferences um, more so than my husband. So um, it's a lot of nights, um, but I think it's all worth it. Um, Fortunately, I don't do a lot of critic work, so I'm not going around kind of burning bridges. I'm actually writing more about trends and about the people behind the food, and that's probably been the most rewarding. Is um, getting to know chefs and mixologists and sommeliers, et cetera, et cetera, who, you know, put in 12-hour days every day and uh, just really kind of hone their craft. Um, so I hope that answers your question. It is um, it's a lot of calories, it's a lot of sodium, it's a lot of night. Um, and then as a freelancer, um, a lot of my time is also spent pitching. Um, and every time you pitch a story, it's basically – in my opinion, like writing for somebody on match.com because you're just hoping that they see something
0: in you. <laughs> it's so weird. I tell um, people this all the time because I just went through a bit of a freelancing spell myself for a couple months and jobs mm-hmm. or pitching or anything like that. It's, it is like dating and dating is like finding a job. It's like your resume is your OkCupid okay profile and vice versa. And <laughs> it's its the way it works. It's crazy. You're just trying to get people to, to like you and you're trying to impress them. And it's its weird
1: exactly and oh, it's the you know the idea that sells it um, I finally sold my first story to The Washington Post but it took you know lots of rejection and you just have to remember that um, you know eventually you'll break through and it's weird like every other industry I've worked in uh, my background as you know we work together as, um, broadcast and I don't need a resume anymore I mean resumes kind of got the window in this field because mm-hmm. your body of work is is basically your resume so um it's been it's been really um, interesting
0: to kind of learn as I go here. Yeah, and we'll get to kind of your background a little bit later on because it's very interesting and diverse, uh, which is another <laughs> reason I wanted to have you on. Uh, sure. I think as a tease, we're going to talk about vibrator bars in Japan. Is that something that's uh, on the on the rundown here?
1: On the rundown. All
0: right. So stay tuned for that. Um, so I mean, you kind of touched on it, but give me or give us the sort of a week in the life. You know, you wake up Monday, you don't have the nine to five. What, you know, when are you pitching? Which nights of the week are you going out somewhere? What are your hours like? Take us through a week of what it's like being a professional doing what you do.
1: Oh, goodness. And Um, if there's,
0: time, I mean, I'm sure you have, you're trying to get time for like the gym and to meet your friends for, you know, casual stuff that you don't have to write about, all that kind of stuff. So even that, I mean, it's a lot to juggle, it sounds like.
1: It is. And you kind of have to think of the gym, um, as part of your job if you're in this industry. Um, I know that for example, our, the critic at the Washington post, I mean, he has a personal trainer that he's, he sees. And I think everyone has to kind of have a workout routine for me at CrossFit. Um, but yeah, so the gym, I definitely try to visit every day. So I can, um, not, you know, feel horrible when I'm out eating cheese and butter and fried things and and burgers, (laughs) um, for Thrillist. But, um, my week, um, is interesting. I usually have, um, until recently, actually this, this is my last week for one of my, um, clients. I've had a column due out every Friday for a publication called Dining Biz Now. Um, so I kind of, work towards that during the week and then I usually have two sometimes three thrill stories due on Sunday nights um so I haven't really had a weekend in about a year and a half yeah. um so there's we- that. weekends are fun like, you're missing out I know I've heard I've heard <laughs> <laughs> um fortunately though when I'm going out to restaurants I'm not that crowded because um Saturday nights I'm home writing
0: that's a um, good point. Yeah, yeah, I remember whenever I get like a Monday or a Tuesday off, I'm like, "This is great. There's no one at the post office. There's no one at the gym. This is fantastic." So,
1: exactly. It has its I actually, exactly. Actually, I live behind what I've been told um, is the highest-grossing Whole Foods in America. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but hmm. for me to be able to go there on a Monday is um, during the day is pretty special. But yeah, I guess I'm dancing around this because it's a really hard question because the nature of being a freelancer but every day is so different sure. and every week is so different and uh, I usually would have, you know, my two regular clients, Thrill and Guiding Biz Now, um, and then I usually have enough time for one or two big side projects. Maybe it's a um, a beverage trend story for Arlington Magazine, um, etc. Um, so, it just depends on if I'm, sometimes I'm in the car all day and I'll, I'll start shoots at 11 a.m. out in Virginia and I'll be back at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and then the next day I'll, I'll block off to just sit at home and write everything that I shot the night before. Uh, so it's really like this is not a job for someone that is just needs structure or, <laughs> mm-hmm. or at all. Um, it's tough. It's a mix of um, running around. I try to do all of my own photos for every outlet that I write for, uh, which means um, unlike a lot of folks um, who primarily conduct phone interviews, I prefer to actually go there physically, take the photos, do the interviews in person. Um, so it's a lot of driving, a lot of biking and um, walking.
0: <laughs> well The biking and the yeah. walking is yeah. good for the calories. I mean, that helps, right?
1: Exactly. Me and my Fitbit. Um, actually, my Apple Watch, which I just purchased. Oh, uh, fancy. I know. Um, I know. I don't think... Now, this is a tangent, but I don't think they make it clear enough when you buy it that it is basically just a remote control for your phone.
0: That's what but. I've read. It's like you, cause you have to have the phone <laughs> in your pocket or something at all times anyway, right? So it's kind of just yeah a satellite. So
1: we, exactly. We haven't broken up, but our relationship is definitely on the rocks. So Ooh. we'll see. But anyway, yeah, sorry that questions, well tough to answer. But I guess the moral of the story is that if you want to do this, you really have to um, be – vigilant about using your calendar to keep track of things and be willing to have every day be completely
0: different. So how does one, you know, you talk about people who you have to have a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of structure or mindset uh, to get into this, this business. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who would love to do what you're doing for a living. How do you get to be in your shoes? If you're, If there's someone out there who's struggling trying to make it, you've had a blog for a year and a half, you said, before you started getting paid for this kind of stuff. What have you learned that you would like to, you know, maybe pass along to people?
1: Sure. Um, And I know that this is so cliche that it actually makes me nauseous, but so much of it was networking.
2: Um, Networking. I know, I know. But it's
1: fun networking. But it's food and drink networking. You don't even have to bring a business card. Um, (laughs) But there's so many... um, Kind of opening parties for restaurants or big kind of charity events where there's tons of chefs and media there. Um, just getting yourself in front of editors um, and even in front of other writers because, you know, like um, DC, I'm, I'm not sure if New York is similar, but in DC, everyone moves around so much. Um, it's a very transient city, so jobs come and go. So mm-hmm. just getting yourself in front of as, as many people as possible. Um, I did do, um, early on with my blog, I did like a big advertising campaign um, that helped me kind of grow a social media presence. So I kind of did make an investment um, up front that got my blog in front of a lot of eyes, and then I uh, was able to build up a Twitter following, and having any sort of robust social media presence is like a, a win for it's, when you're kind of applying for things. It's killer, Yeah. You yeah. Um, so, I mean, so you absolutely, absolutely just have to kind of turn the pants off people and, um, put your friends and on hold for a year and just go to everything you can. Um, maybe do the wedding trick where you kind of hold on to one drink for the, the whole time. Um, so that you some kind of safe... That's what you do ...why everyone else was getting...
2: I'm the, yeah,
1: I'm the <laughs> yeah. complete
0: opposite. I hold as many drinks as I possibly can during the night at a wedding. I think I'm I doing, do, it, I
1: think but, I'm doing yeah. it wrong. I, yeah, at least through co- cocktail, and then I let loose. But, yeah, um, smart. Yeah, so yeah, getting yourself in front of people, um, remembering people's names—I mean, just the little things go a really long way. Um, and then just keep writing. I definitely have a strong voice. Um, I think, no matter who I'm writing for, I actually feel that my voice is pretty um, continuous, uh, which I think is something that people look for because um, kind of vanilla doesn't really it anymore because you know food is very people to people and very subjective and so you have to kind of build trust and have people kind of get to know you through your words and yeah so having a voice is important as well and um yeah and and you also you know be willing to work for not a lot of moolah in the beginning and as you build your clients that could change but it really has to be something that you you love
0: I mean, luckily, the thing about the food industry is that even if you're working for no money, you can still eat if you play your cards right. Like a lot of other people, if you're doing other stuff, (laughs) the money you don't make, you you have to go to other stuff. So it's a smart thing to get into. I want to talk a little bit about the actual, the job in the industry itself, because I am the complete opposite of kind of your target audience. I am not a foodie (laughs) whatsoever. Um, I appreciate it. And when I'm out at a restaurant, I love it. But... If you gave me just like peanut butter and jelly three times a day, I'd be a happy guy. So this intrigues me. This whole world, um, like, how do you? I mean, how do you get? How do you find new restaurants? How do you get new bartenders that to profile? Where did like what's? There's no sports center for food. So how do you get all this research <laughs> and kind of find out where the hot new pizza spot is or where the Thai food place that's just popping off right now? How do you just? How do you know all this stuff? Yeah, what?
1: Um, so so many ways. I mean, it is. Um, like other fields, um, there are a really big contingent of um, public relations professionals here. Um, so I do, like like any other field, I do get an inbox full of press releases on a daily basis, which certainly help to alert me towards openings. Um, a lot of people kind of also track. Um, you can kind of see when people apply for liquor licenses. Um, Ooh, I didn't know you could do that. Those. Yeah, you can kind of search for when um, people apply for different licenses, which kind of is a hint that they're going to open something. Oftentimes, they have to actually include the name of their restaurant and the address. So you can kind of um, smell blood that way. and track down some <laughs> It's opinions.
0: a nice way to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people, once they trust you, will send you some tips. Um, but it's been just an incredible 2014 and, and start to 2015 in D.C. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I believe in 2014, close to like 120 restaurants opened,
2: wow. maybe
1: more. Um, and it's not because restaurants here are closing. It's because we've gotten a whole new food neighborhood. Um, so it's certainly been a lot to keep track of. And it also means that you're not eating um, at very many restaurants twice. Um, you just kind of have to get in there, get a feel for it, and kind of um, move on. It's hard to circle back because um, things are moving here so quickly. Um Fortunately, our city has gotten a lot of um, national attention lately because big-name chefs are coming here who, even you the, uh, quote, unquote, not foodie would know. Like, David (laughs) Chang is opening a Momofuku here.
0: Yeah, he writes for Esquire. I see his columns, or GQ, one of them every month.
1: Yeah. Um, Yep, so, yeah, Momofuku. And he was on um, Mind of a Chef on PBS, which is my favorite thing, if you ever find yourself with a half-hour to kill. Right. Um And then, yeah, Michael Schlau, um, who's from Boston, opened a restaurant. He's about to open a second one. Daniel Belude from New York opened a DBGB bar and kitchen here. So we're getting kind of these big names that are kind of bolstering the local community too and our local guys are doing great stuff too. Um, All
0: right, so when I was talking to you yeah, to get you... you on here, one of the things you said was you wanted to make sure that you let people know that DC doesn't suck uh, anymore. What, doesn't. Is, that, is this kind of what you're talking about here?
1: Yeah, that I mean, it's not just because these these big um, names are coming in, dropping off restaurants, and staying for a couple months, and then just kind of leaving it in the hands of their staff. But I mean, DC really isn't just this stodgy steakhouse expense account success anymore. Um, and part of it has to do with the clientele. I think that DC over the last five, ten years has really developed as a vibrant startup community, which I don't think many people know about. Um, I've, it's not yeah, just
0: I've, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, we got a big startup community, of course a big nonprofit community. Um, it's not just the Hill and the feds and um, the think tanks. It's a lot uh, more diverse now and our hospitality industry is exploding. Um, so we're seeing just all kinds of just this community come together in cool, interesting ways. Um, yes, so definitely it's if you have to come here for a conference. Um, it's worth staying an extra day or two to check out our our food and,
0: and our bars um, alone for sure. Now tell me this: Do you ever? I mean, every person who writes gets writer's block. Any creative person at some point hits you know walls with their brainstorming. But you're just cranking out all this stuff, all this content, all the time. Do you, <laughs> I mean, do you run out of ideas ever? You're like, oh man, I just did. Like, I don't want to do Bacon's story again. Or, or there's no really good spot to go <laughs> check out this week. I mean, how often do you get to that point where it's like, ah, oh, I just. I just don't know what to do right now this week.
1: It's tough, and I I try not to fall into like some of the crutches that um, are common, like just putting together a, a list of um, the top 10 restaurants that spend Father's Day. And one thing that I'm particularly ticks me off that I feel strongly about is all these um, national food days. It's like there's just National Donut Day. Yeah, I feel like there's and one every hopefully-
0: week, something new.
1: There is, and, like, I feel like Congress even has to approve them So the fact that people are wasting time on this.
2: Wait, is that that for
1: real? Yeah. And they're, like, some of them, if they're, like, official, they've been signed off on. And I just feel pretty strongly that days should be reserved for, like, advocacy for things like autism and... I don't know, just things that carry weight instead of donuts, and so there's, and you know, And that politician's
0: time should be reserved for things that are more important than, yeah, buffalo wings or donuts or whatever.
1: Um, correct, yep. Um, so I try to stay, I think, you know, when you have writer's block, it's easy to fall into traps. trap. Um, I, I don't know, I, I've, so far, I've, I've been, okay, there's just so much happening here, and... And, you know, of course, you can draw inspiration from other publications around the country and across the pond in Europe. And um, I actually, what always happens to me, which is so embarrassing, is that I always have my best ideas in the shower. So I had to buy... <laughs> You're not alone. Okay, good. I had to buy those crayons that little kids have to, like, draw pictures in the shower. That, that part's can, embarrassing. Like, that part I yeah, can't do. <laughs> I, have, I know. I have those. And I will literally write headlines on my shower wall because I know by the time I hop out, um, and you know, it's better than leaving a trail of water from my shower to my office. So I, right. I, I just, I have graffiti of headlines and ideas and, uh, yeah. It's no like the far. new hipster
0: bathroom decoration is just, you know, writing all over the place.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't believe we just submitted that, but. Um.
0: That's great. Hey, whatever. I mean, if it helps you get the job done, then whatever it takes. That's a secret tip, you know, from a pro. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, writer's block hits everybody, and um, what also helps is that I'm not pitching 100% of the time. Um, Some of my stories are assigned, say, you know, for Thrillist, if something worked really well in one of their other cities, um, and they, you know, they'll say, hey, do you think this would work in D.C.? And I say, absolutely, Um, and I'll run with it. And the same goes for my ideas that I do in D.C. if they are original and they work well. Um, I know I did one called "How to Stay on Happy Hour for Ten Straight Hours."
0: I've was, read that one. Well, yeah, I had to click oh, on it to see I saw it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I found ten different bars, uh, one for each hour that offer happy hour at kind of odd times, so I could build this out. And they liked it so much that they kind of went and tried it in other cities. So it's very kind of collaborative like that. Um, so fortunately, you know, I'm not. It's not that I have to come up with every single idea on my own. That would be. um That'd be pretty tough. Yeah, I can imagine for sure. Yeah.
2: So,
0: so now you have also the audience that you are writing for—the people who are not me, but you know, America in general is becoming a much more sophisticated food culture. There's so many chef shows on, and like you say, all these you know prime-time cuisine people you know popping up all over the country. Do you find it tough writing for those that are very much in the know, or like who is your audience in your head? I guess (laughs) is it the the fancy foodie, or is it the 25-year-old the that's just kind of looking for a cool new spot to take his or her date on a Thursday night kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's different for every outlet, which is why I love my job. Um, for the past year and change, I wrote for um, an outlet called Dining Is Now that is actually geared towards more maybe 40- or 50-year-old established kind of business people because it's actually a real estate group that happens to have a dining publication. Hmm. So that was kind of my more serious side. And I knew that they kind of had, um, a little bit more dough to spend. So I could focus on things like, you know, the new power lunch spots Cause they, I know they would be entertaining clients, um, versus my Arlington magazine stories when, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to have someone in that target demographic read my story before I turn it in to make sure that, um, you know, families, young families um, in suburban Washington and Arlington. You know, um, if it makes sense, and um, so you have to. It's interesting finding a balance of you know what you have to kind of explain. Like, can I just say that like the octopus is prepared um, using a 2 method? Do I have to explain what that is, or mm. does everybody know that by now? Um, so fortunately, there's this wonderful thing called editors who know, <laughs> their, who know the audience and can say you know, you, well, you need to explain this better. And so, and then Thrill us, which we've been talking about, you know, they're, um, I'm writing to 21 to 35 year old males, uh, who have disposable income that like to spend it on food and drink. And, um, I'm pretty sure the readership is, you know, more close to even with men and women, but, um, they do like that kind of, um, polished bro voice, if you will. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it's different for every publication and that's, What's tough about being a freelancer is um, I don't spend, you know, every day writing to the same audience and really perfecting this. I have to kind of be a, a little bit of a chameleon. Um, That's cool
2: though.
0: It keeps you in gener- your
1: toes. Absolutely. And, you know, I've learned so much. And I'm generally, like you said, everybody is far more educated now because, I mean, people go into a restaurant and they want, you know, they want to know more than does it taste good and does it, you know, how much does it cost? They want to know where it came from, how is it prepared, um, you know, who is the chef? Where's he from? Is this a family recipe? I mean, people just are hungry for way more than food right now. Um, and I think that makes it an exciting time to be a writer. because It really holds you accountable to um, knowing your stuff.
0: So what's kind of the dream end for you for this? If you can even think that far, is it getting your own kind of travel <laughs> channel show one day? Is it New York Times, food <laughs> critic or reviewer, trend writer? Are you even thinking that far? What's, what's the end goal? Oh, Not man. end goal, but what's the oh. kind of dream?
1: Oh, come on, Mike. You saw me, uh, like, when I was trying to do on-air stuff. I think, like, my last time anchoring, fake anchoring at Newhouse, I referred to O.J. Simpson with a female pronoun. I'm a hot mess. Um, So, definitely.
0: (laughs) But that was, you're out of your element. It's like a fake news desk. If we put you in, like, Bora Bora at some local crab shack or something, (laughs) you'd be a totally, you'd you'd have that spark. You'd be crushing it. I got a feeling.
1: Oh, my God. Um... I know about that. I would love to maybe help produce something like that. I could trail Anthony Bourdain and help with his writing and helping to pick his locations. Um, it's tough. I kind of go back and forth on whether, you know, I want to be an editor of a, um, newspaper or magazine and a medium sized city. Um, or if I want to continue freelancing and kind of expand my niche, cause I would also love one day to kind of write about fitness as well. Yeah. Um, so it's um, I've only really kind of been 100% into this for two years. So I'm kind of figuring out, you know, do I want to be a critic? Do I want to be a features writer? Um, do I love long form? It's still, I'm still pretty, um, I don't know if I'm holding my eight ball. I think it's saying, you know, the, the future is unclear, but, um, I, as yeah. It is, as I think, it is for all of us. Good. I'm. Yeah, I know you're supposed to know by the time you're 30, but, I feel like this is I'm somehow 30 and already having an encore career and I'm just kind of taking baby steps and figuring out what I like. But I I think I really love um love the long form stories that kind of show it's just the work that people are, are doing the stories behind the food and that really make what's on your plate come alive. So I think long form might be um the route that I eventually take.
0: Nice. Well, hopefully, obviously, yeah, the eight ball clears up down the road. And if not, hopefully it's adventures (laughs) along the way. Um, You've had some adventures so far. Just uh, don't have too much longer. I I don't want to keep you too late. But uh, just to talk a little bit about kind of your journey in general, because it's been it's been a wild one. I mean, Syracuse for college (laughs) from uh, Philly area, Philly proper, Philly area. I I never forget. Philly area. Yeah. Um, San Diego for a while, right. And then Japan, which we alluded to earlier. So now is the vibrator bar payoff, I guess. Um, Perfect. What's Yeah, I mean, what are some of the some of the postcards you have tucked away from from what you've been <laughs> doing before you got to, to where you are now?
1: Sure. Um, so I after college was frozen and took a job um, in San Diego and drove out there. Um, Which is, I mean, 180 from
0: Syracuse to San Diego. That's about as far as you can go in a lot of ways.
1: Yes. Um Yes, I I put everything, including the hedgehog I had at the time, time, in my car and drove out there. And I was working um, as a news writer and production assistant during the whole, you know, um, 2 a.m. to 11 a.m. shift, um, Mm. helping to write the morning news. Um, And I met an awesome guy um, along the way, and um, he showed me a list of places that he's a um, Navy doctor, and he showed me a list of places that he could potentially go for two years before starting his residency, and I saw Japan on there, and we jumped at it, and so um, went over there, I was there for about two years, um, pretty far from where he was, because I, I wanted to kind of have my own job, and he was at sea most of the time anyway, but um, so I taught at uh, junior high schools during the day, even though I'm not a teacher, um, but made it work, junior high school is a bad age everywhere. Um, <laughs> so you
0: have proof of that now, it's not just here.
1: No, it's everywhere, um, for sure. Um, and actually, I lived in a very, um, very, very small town. The um, word, in, it's I guess the word for bumble in Japanese is inaka. <laughs> I was like definitely in the countryside. Some people had never seen a foreigner. I had people touching my blonde hair. I had old ladies grabbing my butt because they'd never seen junk in the trunk. I mean, it was. I wish more wild. old ladies would
0: grab my butt. I got to learn new secrets. Maybe Japan, <laughs> maybe Japan's the place for me.
1: It is. Um, and I helped my neighbors kind of plant rice at night. It was just, it was a terrific two years. And then, um, Tom got stationed in DC. So we came here and got married and that was awesome. And I worked for three years, um, as a uh, communications manager, um, uh, of a Japanese nonprofit called the U.S. Japan Council. Um, so I was able to, able to use my Japanese skills and um do all of the media work and web work and writing and graphics and
0: um it and was starting really small. Did you know Japanese yeah. before you went or you learned when you got out there?
1: Um, I learned when I got out there. Oh. I had a lot of free time and a nice librarian that helped me and <laughs> um You still speak yeah, it at all I now really, or get to use it at all now? Um, no, I used it, um, I had to use it for those three years, certainly. I would go back right. to, forth to Tokyo a little bit, but, um, I, no, I don't really get to use it much here except for, you know, some of my favorite restaurants. Um, we went back in March for fun, um, and I did pretty well, um, but, it's more kind of a party trick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: and mean, the thing with Japanese, is um, yeah. not one of those languages that too many people speak. So you you can kind of mess up a little bit, and yeah, at a party or a, or a cocktail, and people will still think you know exactly what you're talking about. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, I can certainly understand everything. I just feel a little ner- more nervous speaking now. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I did that nonprofit thing for three years, and uh, what's great is actually run by um, Senator Daniel Inouye's wife, Irene. Um, so I got to know Senator Inouye um, before he passed and he's definitely one of the most inspiring people I've ever met in my life. Um, so they were great and helped me kind of hone my communication skills. And that's kind of when I started my blog on the side and then helped that kind of mushroom into a full-time career. Um, but I promised you vibrator bars. Um, yeah, so yeah. I will circle hold back. Give us
0: that story. We're holding on to that one.
1: Sure. So I went back to Japan in March, um, first time, um, I've been back there for um, things other than work, um, so I I did a fun story for Thrillist on um, twenty things you can only do in Japan, and because one of them was this bar that I found. It's called Bar Vibe, and
0: I believe it's <laughs> the name. The name kind of starts to say it all.
1: Yeah, I believe it's in Shibuya. I would have to look it up, uh, which is one of the kind of more heavy nightlife areas, mm-hmm. and. You enter through this, a doorway that is, like, a giant vulva, and <laughs> you pay essentially the equivalent of, like, a $20 cover charge, which includes two drinks. Um, and if you're um, smart like me, you'll get to, like, have 12 years and nurse those. Um, and then a nice lady will give you a cafeteria-style um, plastic glove, that enables you um, and your your willing husband, who you've dragged along, <laughs> to play with their collection of 300 plus vibrators from all over the world, they wow. are kind of all stacked up there. Um, so you just, you know, obviously, you know, they'll explain to you in, in Japanese that you can't use them in the traditional sense, but you can certainly turn them on and off and right. <laughs> try to figure out where they go. Um, and the whole thing, I mean, it sounds very silly, but I was actually really excited about it only because um, women don't have a pretty long way to go, um, to be kind of equal with men in the workplace in Japan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I mean, even sometimes in the home. So the fact that there's even a bar that recognizes that women, Japanese women are sexual beings, I was kind of jazzed about. Um, so that was a cool one. I actually found a, a maid cafe, Um, where, um, the theme is Super Mario Brothers and girls in French made costumes kind of jump up and down on trampolines and like punch those like gold boxes that normally, you know, you'd punch coins in the video game.
0: What galaxy is Um, this in?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I found some cool stuff.
0: (laughs) Man, that is, I mean, I've, I've been to Japan once. It was for a business trip and I was only, I was in Tokyo. It was only for two days. It was crazy the, the short amount of time that I was there. Um, And I I was hoping, because you always read about these things, normally it's like cat-related or video game-related, like all these weird things, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I never had the chance. It seems like you made up for me, though, with uh, a couple of these.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, we had a good time. Um, We went to a rabbit cafe and to an owl cafe and um, went to one place and got violently ill um, but (laughs) recovered. I went to the Yamazaki um, distillery and just drooled over um, Japanese whiskey, which is really getting much harder to get these days. So um, that was a really special experience. Um, Yeah, so that was kind of my first delve into travel writing, uh, which I really enjoyed. So hopefully I'll get to do a little bit more of that in the future. All
0: right. Well, I wish you luck with that too, because that seems like some fun stuff. Uh, Last thing I want to talk to you about, you're a big sports fan, you're a Philly (laughs) fan. Give me one to 10, your confidence, your happiness with each of your big four teams right now. (laughs)
1: Um, I'm expecting, I'm expecting
0: expecting low numbers across the board.
1: Man, I mean, we'll start with the Eagles, who are my, you know, my whole life. I I take the train from D.C. to Philly for every home game, uh, for the most part, still. And I'm in the camp that thinks there's a big, angry tumor kind of pressing on Chip Kelly's brain. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, if it's not, what's that saying? If it ain't broke, so, you know. right. All we needed was, a, you know, a few key linemen and a quarterback that in a moron, and now we have three morons. And... <laughs> um, so I don't think that we will win eight games um, on the football field. I think the Phillies are a this facility.
2: That sums and, uh, it up pretty um, nicely. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, gosh, the Flyers, I will say that I, I know this is horrible, but I wanted to pick one D.C. team to latch on to.
2: Uh, so um, They've been on here
1: the caps. six years. So I, I yeah. Um, so I, I've moved on to the Caps. Um, I can get to the Verizon Center for my house in like eight minutes, and the games are so fun, and I, the guys are a great team. So they're kind of my hockey interest, and the Sixers. Oh my God! Uh,
0: Check back in a few I years. Even... That's what they want us to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, like, the biggest drama is the Eagles, and it'll certainly be. I think Dallas is um, division to lose, so we'll. Yeah, I mean, as a Giants fan,
0: I can't even really argue that it's kind of them and the rest of us. So, but we'll see how it goes. So it'll be a fun season.
1: We'll we'll see. I would, yeah, I'll I'll love to see where we are midway through Giants and Eagles. Uh, I think I'm definitely going to the game when the Giants come to Philly. So I'll think about you.
0: Oh, definitely, and hopefully you're thinking about uh, us winning. So, but we'll check back in with you then. Uh, all right, cool. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and and jumping on the phone. I really do appreciate it. One more time, let the people know they can find you on all the all the platforms and all the internets you want to be found on.
1: Sure. So, um, Thrillist, you know, I can just go to Thrillist.com/slash um, Washington DC. I believe you should be able to see all of my stories, um, and then. Um, follow me on Twitter. That's the best way to kind of see all of my work and that's at BTMenu. You'll see a picture of me holding a pizza um, as my <laughs> little icon. And that's and how you know you've arrived yep, right at the right place. Yep, exactly. So, um, thanks for having me, Mike. This is really special. Um, I hope that, you know, there's some folks out there that are interested in doing this because it certainly is rewarding.
0: All right. Well, that's about as, as good as it gets. So thank you very much for joining us and yeah, definitely continued best of luck with everything.
1: Thank you so much. You too.
0: Really cool girl. Really happy that Laura was able to stop by on the show, and I thank her very much. Uh, for all of you who are in the D.C., Northern Virginia area, you want to know about food or events or lifestyle stuff going on, drinks, everything like that, make sure to check her out. Again, at BT Menu on Twitter, and then just you know look up Laura Hayes on Google. She writes for Thrillist, a bunch of other cool places, and she'll be able to tell you where to go. So thank you again to Laura for uh, swinging by, and we definitely wish her the best as she continues to conquer the food scene down there. Now, the one thing I want to talk about, my one thing this week, uh, was Father's Day. And obviously, uh, it's now passed, and I hope those of you that were able to uh, spend it with your fathers enjoyed it. Those of you that got to talk to your dads enjoyed it as well. And I just wanted to use this time, uh, i won't take too long, just to give a shout out to my dad, Manny, and all that he's done. And it really put into perspective for me how important dads are. I mean, I, I don't take my dad for granted I love him and I respect him and appreciate everything he's done for me my entire life. But I went, uh, when it came out on Friday, to see Inside Out, the new Pixar movie. And like every Pixar movie, it's got family themes and motifs and all that kind of stuff. And I realized it got a little dusty there at the end. Um, I'm not going to give away any any plot points, but as you can imagine, the end of any Pixar movie tends to have a big emotional uh, climactic moment. And this one was no different between... Uh, a tween girl, a pre-tween, pre-teen tween pre girl, and her parents. And it got a little uh, dusty for me there in the theater. And it just reminded me, it was the same thing with Toy Story 3, Finding Nemo. Uh, for me, going back to like Field of Dreams even, that kind of stuff. Anything where there's a parental child bond on film, that always gets me. Uh, I love that stuff. And seeing that movie just a couple days before I was able to go visit my parents and see my dad for Father's Day really just helped drive home uh, how important my dad and both my parents have been to me uh, in my upbringing. Uh, they may bug me now a little more than I'd like about being single and almost 30 and not giving them grandkids and all that stuff, but they have given me immeasurably more than I could ever ask for, and it makes the uh, that kind of stuff worthwhile. So basically just wanted to, my one thing is just if you have your parents, you know, and you, whether you like them or not, they've helped make you who you are, definitely appreciate them. Don't take them for granted. Uh, I know too many people who, have through tragedy or other ill circumstance not had a father around or a mother uh, for some or all parts of their lives and uh, some of those people how they deal with it i I don't know because i I respect that because i can't imagine what i would be without my parents and as we're talking about father's day my dad in particular so uh, to all of you out there i know some of you might think it's a chore to call the parents even once a week but definitely you know stay in touch Bridge the gaps between geography, time, interests, occupation, whatever it takes, because uh, your parents, as Pixar and Disney in general are uh, more than happy to tell us in their movies, may not always be around. And they may not always be as accessible as you'd like them to be. So uh, not just on this Father's Day, but any day, you know, text, hug, write, call, do what you got to do. Appreciate your parents. Uh, And definitely uh, do what you can to make sure you enjoy them uh, while they can be as much uh, a big part of your life as they possibly can. And I guess thank you Pixar for reminding me of that, uh, even though I didn't think I needed the reminder. But it's always good to see that on film and, and see everyone kind of relate to that as well. All right, that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that conversation with Laura, and we'll come back with you for you next week. Not quite sure. we got a couple guests that we're lining up, potentially, so I'm not sure the order, but uh, we're going to have some really exciting people coming up, so make sure to keep uh, checking us out. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mike Janela, M-I-K-E-J-A-N-E. E-L-A. Don't forget to follow our guest Laura Hayes as well at BT Menu, And definitely make sure to check us out. We're on iTunes. Just search my name, Mike Janella Show. That'll come up. So download, subscribe, review, like us if you like, hate us if you like, up to you. You can also find me on Podomatic. You can again just search my name, Mike Janella, there. And you can also find this podcast streaming and a whole bunch of other stuff at my website at MikeJanella.com. That does it. We'll see you again next week, and thank you very much for listening. Hopefully, I'll do better
2: next time.